The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive with Dr. Rebecca Risk. Do you ever feel that even though nothing seems seriously wrong and you pass all the medical tests, that you still feel that your health, pain, and fatigue are completely out of control? It doesn't have to be that way. Listen to the tips and suggestions given on our program today and take back control of your health. Now, here is Dr. Rebecca Risk. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Falling Through the Cracks. Today, we're talking with Isabella Wentz. She is an internationally acclaimed thyroid specialist and licensed pharmacist who has dedicated her career to addressing the root cause of autoimmune thyroid disease after being diagnosed with Hashimoto's thyroiditis in 2009. Today, we're discussing her book, Hashimoto's Protocol, a 90-day plan for reversing thyroid symptoms and getting your life back. So, Isabella, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Rebecca. It's such an honor to be here. So what inspired you to write this book about Hashimoto's? You know, in full disclosure, I was never really interested in the thyroid during pharmacy school. I thought thyroid disease was just something we got when we got older. Um, And it wasn't until I got my own diagnosis of Hashimoto's when I was in my 20s after almost a decade of some pretty debilitating symptoms. That's when I decided to become a... I guess, um, Hashimoto's expert slash human guinea pig. It was really, you know, my journey of taking back my health that encouraged me to start writing my book. Um, my first book called Hashimoto's The Root Cause, um, I wrote down basically everything I did, all the research I did and what worked for me. My mom encouraged me to get the, the message out there. She's a physician from Poland, and she was saying, let's translate this and let's get this out into the world because these strategies are working, right? My second book, Hashimoto's Protocol, I wrote. I decided to write this after meeting one of my readers who said, hey, I really love digging for my health, but can you give me exact protocols? What exactly do I need to do to recover my health? Can you give me a meal plan? Can you give me guidance, what to eat, what not to eat, what supplements to take? And so um, Hashimoto's Protocol came out of my work with over a 1,000 patients with Hashimoto's in um, creating most effective systems to help them take back their health in um, as little time as possible because nobody has time to be tired and nobody has time to be brain fogged, right? And it it seems nobody has time for a a long treatment either. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. And to take the time to figure out, you know, in your book, when I when I read that, that, you know, you were inspired and passionate about um, doing the research. So you didn't get why other people didn't want to. And, you know, I'm the same, but also with treating people, I know that that's not where their passions lie and they research other things. So I do that for them in the same way you have here. Right. It was it was a Pilates instructor that 
inspired me to make things simpler because I, um, you know, obviously when I started working with, with patients with Hashimoto's, I realized that they really wanted the practical things. Um, and, and this Pilates um, instructor, she was brilliant, but she was like, she was giving me all this information that was way over my head because I was like, just tell me what I need to do right now so that I could look, you know, cute in a, in a swimsuit. That's not my passion, right? Yeah, it's uh, um, although we should all take our our health um, in our own hands. Sometimes we do need some help with that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, can you tell me exactly what Hashimoto's is? Hashimoto's is an autoimmune condition that happens to impact the thyroid gland. So, in Hashimoto's, the immune system starts to recognize the thyroid gland as a foreign invader. And then it launches an attack against the glands. So eventually when this attack is happening long enough, the person's thyroid will be so destroyed that it won't be able to make enough thyroid hormone. And then that's when hypothyroidism develops or an underactive thyroid. It's one of the most common autoimmune condition affecting primarily women, although um, men and children can be affected as well. But we see uh, five to eight women for every man that's diagnosed with the condition. So, you know, one thing that I I found surprising in your book, and, you know, I know Hashimoto's is common um, and it's very underdiagnosed as well. But um, am I right in remembering that 87% of thyroid um, thyroiditis is actually Hashimoto's? Yeah, it's, it, actually, it's a little bit higher than that, depending depending on which study you read, right? And so, yeah. um, anywhere from ninety to ninety five percent is what I usually say that the people with an underactive thyroid will have Hashimoto's. Um, that that's pretty crazy, um, you know, especially mm-hmm. when um, people aren't getting diagnosed. You know, when I when I send people to their their family doctor to get the testing done, there's a lot of resistance to to um, test for the antibodies. And if it's so common, I'm just wondering why that resistance is there. Do we even know? You know, I, I think really it, it it's kind of silly. I think it's more of like a money-saving thing where they'll say, okay, we're going to test your thyroid. And then they use the, they utilize the TSH test, right? And if only if that is elevated or suppressed, only at that point will they test for thyroid antibodies. And in some cases they won't. Um, where the thyroid antibodies are um, elevated for sometimes a decade before we see a change in TSH. And so the guidelines are test the TSH first, and if that's normal, or if that's normal, then you stop. If it's abnormal, then you can go do additional testing. But, you know, for them, it's for the conventional docs, it's like, well, what's the point of doing the testing, well, when whether it's Hashimoto's or whether somebody doesn't have a thyroid or whatever is causing them to be underactive and having a sluggish thyroid, they're just going to give the person the same exact treatment, right? Um, so we'll talk about the treatment for for Hashimoto's later, but um, what are some of the symptoms of Hashimoto's that people should be looking out for? Some of the most common ones are going to be fatigue, and then we're looking at um, at struggles with weight. So people who um, who tend to Um, put on more weight even though without changing anything or they have a difficult time losing weight. Um, Anxiety, depression, apathy, brain fog are additional symptoms. Um, We see miscarriages and infertility, um, cold intolerance, hair loss, pain all over the body are are some of the more common symptoms that I would, um, you know, if anybody was struggling with with those symptoms, I would say this is a reason for you to get tested for Hashimoto's to see if that's 
if, if that's your cause. So how does somebody go about getting diagnosed with Hashimoto's? So the thyroid antibody tests, I believe, are the best bet for most people. And they're thyroid peroxidase, that's TPO antibodies, and thyroglobulin could be abbreviated as TG antibodies. These are going to be elevated for, um, for a decade before, we, before the thyroid gland begins to fail because, um, you know, and, and even before a person may need uh, thyroid hormone replacement. Um, this is going to be the most helpful. The other thing to kind of remember, the other caveat is for some people, they may have something known as ferronegative Hashimoto's which means that their body, for whatever reason, isn't producing antibodies, but it is still attacking the thyroid glands. And so um, in that case, doing a thyroid ultrasound may be a more accurate way to tell if somebody has Hashimoto's. And then in in other cases, if somebody has nodules, doing doing, um, a fine needle aspiration of the nodule and then also doing a uh, looking under a microscope to see if the nodule shown signs of Hashimoto's. But that is, of course, a little bit more invasive, so I don't recommend it for everybody. But, you know, we're going to see the antibody tests are going to pick up Hashimoto's in 80% of people, and then about 20% or perhaps even more um, are going to be, are not going to have the antibodies, and then we need to do more advanced methods of diagnosis. So what shows up on an ultrasound? Is it the the nodules or is there something more? A few different things could show up. So one of the things is the thyroid could be enlarged. Another could be that it's shrunken. Um, there, There could be a change in texture, so it could be more rubbery. There may be some scar tissue that, that can um, show up, of course, um, you know, to the average person. With a naked eye, you wouldn't be able to see that, and most doctors are not trained in reading the ultrasound, so you would, um, you would go to... Um, you would go to get the ultrasound and then the radiologist would be able to interpret that and provide a report to your doctor. And um, can you just explain what the antibodies are? What does that mean when the antibodies are elevated? When there are antibodies elevated, that means the immune system has recognized the thyroid gland as a foreign invader, much like it would um, a bacteria or some sort of a pathogen. Okay, so then that's when we're getting the thyroid is being attacked by the immune system and that's where the symptoms are coming from? Exactly. Okay, so how is, is what is the approach, I guess, of conventional medicine? Uh, how do they treat Hashimoto's? Um, the approach there is actually looking at um, just replacing thyroid hormone. And the conventional approach just focuses on utilizing synthetic thyroid hormones to, to try to bring the thyroid hormones levels back into normal, um, where um, unfortunately for a lot of patients, the synthetic thyroid hormones don't fully do their job and and they still don't feel better. And um, the thyroid hormones don't get to the underlying root causes or triggers of the condition. And so the condition can still progress and sometimes it progresses into other types of autoimmune conditions. Well, it, you know, if you're treating the thyroid hormone, um, that's not doesn't seem to me that that's addressing the autoimmune aspect of it. It's not. So it, it basically, if you were to think about, if you had a bucket and with a hole in it, and you were trying to keep the bucket full of water, and you just kept pouring more and more water into it, that's sort of the conventional medical approach: is keep pouring more water into the bucket 
um, as it drains out, right? And with functional medicine and the approach that I advocate, we talk about, okay, yes, let's put more water into the bucket, but let's also plug up the holes so that we don't have to keep adding more of this water in, right? Uh, that seems to make sense. <laughs> so um, how is your approach different from just replacing the thyroid hormone? You know, I, I really focus on looking at what are some of the underlying root causes and triggers and lifestyle changes that can make a person feel significantly better. Um, and so the thing that I focus on, and, and of course, I'm, I'm a proponent of using thyroid hormones. Um, they can be very, very helpful and in many cases absolutely necessary, but also making sure that the person is... Um, looking at what's going on within their body and listening to the body's messages. So we're, we're talking about um, getting the body's, um, ad- getting the adrenals, the stress response back in balance, addressing the health of the gut, addressing the health of the liver, helping the person clear out toxins. We're looking at chronic infections, food sensitivities, and nutrient depletion. So we're really taking a whole person approach to help them rebalance Okay, um, so one thing I, I found um, that I liked it in your book about talking about taking charge of, of your own health, which it seems um, people with Hashimoto's need to do even to get diagnosed. Can you just tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, and so um, I recommend that everybody be involved in their own health um, and, and not necessarily depending on somebody else to tell you what to do, but really educating yourself about what things as a patient you can do, like what lifestyle changes can you take on to help yourself? Um, that, you know, it seems to make sense. It's something that um, I come up a lot, you know, and it's part of my journey as well, um, you know, where I was told that I was completely healthy and I was barely functioning as a human being. I had to, you know, look deeper until I found the answer. And, you know, some people tell me they're really tired of looking, but I, I, I don't think that there should ever be a time where your health shouldn't be a priority and, and continually to serve for the answers until you find it. Yeah, absolutely. Nobody's going to take as good of care of you as you take care of yourself, <laughs> right? You know your body best. Yeah, and I, I think we know when something's wrong more than anybody else does because we know things just aren't right and we should keep looking for those answers. Mm-hmm. Um, We're going to take a quick break. We're talking today with uh, Isabella Wentz. She is the author of The Hashimoto's Protocol. So we'll be back shortly. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. The Voice America Live Events page is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. 
Now there's a new destination for video content, voiceamerica.tv, just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7, voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Falling Through the Cracks with your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. To reach the program today, please call in to 1 866 472 5792. Again, that's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Risk. The email address is anantacalgary at gmail.com. Now, back to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Today, we're talking with Isabella Wentz. She is the author of the Hashimoto's Protocol, a 90-day plan for reversing thyroid symptoms and getting your life back. So, Isabella, we um, we talked a little bit about testing before the break, and I just um, there's some other tests aside from the antibodies. I'm just wondering if you can explain what T3 and T4 are in relationship to the thyroid. Yeah, so... Um so the TSH test is the most popular test that's used, and that test does, doesn't actually measure directly what's happening within the thyroid. It's, um, it's a hormone that's released by the pituitary in response to thyroid hormone levels. But there are certain situations, you know, under perfect circumstances, that test will tell us when there's not enough thyroid hormone on board. But in certain situations, there may be a communication breakdown. And so um, it's also important to make sure that you're testing um, what's happening within the thyroid gland and testing the actual thyroid hormone levels. And that's done with T4 and T3 testing. T4 is um, one of the most active thyroid hormones and T3 is the most active thyroid hormone. And so you want to do those two tests. And I often will also recommend doing free T3 and free T4, which um, essentially lets us know what the unbound component of thyroid hormones is is present. And this is important because there could be thyroid hormones that are bound, which means that they're not available for the body to utilize. And so the unbound T3, T4, the free T3, T4 is going to tell us how much actual available thyroid hormone we have. 
So when we're looking at um, all of this, who should, um, you know, if people are listening, they're like, oh, I have a thyroid problem or, or, you know, I feel those symptoms, who should be getting tested for Hashimoto's? I would say um, if you are a woman, you should get tested for Hashimoto's every five years or so. If you are thinking about ever having a baby, you should get tested every year um, because if you have the condition before you get pregnant, um, one, you might have a harder chance becoming pregnant. You might have a miscarriage, um, or you may have a child that's born with um, with a disability such as um, such as autism or Down syndrome. Because if your maternal um, autoimmune thyroid predicts higher levels of autism, and maternal hypothyroid can lead to higher expression of um, uh, can lead to um, higher rates of Down syndrome, according to some researchers. The other thing, too, is we can have a lot of postpartum thyroid issues. So you might have postpartum depression if you um, don't have your thyroid hormone, thyroid health addressed before you get pregnant. But really, you know, anybody that's struggling with weight fatigue is not feeling their best should get their thyroid antibodies tested. We, we look at um, the levels of Hashimoto's in the community are 27% when we do more advanced diagnostics. So that's one in four people. And another study talked about the patients that were coming and seeking help, so people who were not feeling well and were going to their doctors, about half of those people actually have thyroid antibodies. So there's a good chance if you've been to the doctor because you're not feeling well, you might have Hashimoto's. Um, sounds like it should just be a test that's part of our yearly physical if it's so common. I, I wish it, I really wish it was. I mean, it's not an expensive test. It's um, very inexpensive, and you know, for patients that don't have access to doctors that will test them, I always advocate using self-order options from labs. So I know we have Direct Labs, My Med Lab, Alta Lab. Um, there's a lot of different opportunities for patients to test on their own, and they're you know, they're under $60 in most places. Oh, that sounds um, pretty affordable, uh, especially when one of the arguments from doctors is how much it costs. Mm-hmm. Um, so in your book, you talk about the five stages of Hashimoto's. What is that? So the five stages of Hashimoto's, um, we know that the condition is progressive and scientists have identified these five stages. The first stage is actually when we just have the genetic predisposition to develop the condition. This is going to be a stage where a person um, doesn't have thyroid disease and doesn't have any attack on their thyroid. Their thyroid hormone is normal. They don't have any symptoms. As this time goes on, um, if the person is exposed to the right kind of triggers, um, they're going to be at risk for developing thyroid disease, and, and that can progress to stage two. And stage two is when we have an autoimmune attack on the thyroid glands, um, and we start having symptoms. We're going to see thyroid antibodies at that point and those that express them, or um, the person may not have antibodies. They just might have the inflammation within their thyroid glands. We're not going to be um, seeing any changes on, on the lab markers like PSH, T3, T4. All of those numbers will still be normal. So oftentimes patients are misdiagnosed at this point. They're told that they have anxiety or depression or that you know, they're eating too much that everything is in their head because doctors are not running the right tests. 
stage three is when we start getting into subclinical hypothyroidism, where the thyroid gland is damaged to the point where it's having a hard time compensating. And so we start seeing an increase in TSH at this point and more symptoms. This stage, um, T3, T4 will still be normal um, and we'll still have thyroid antibodies. The fourth stage is progression to overt hypothyroidism, where a person will have a lot more symptoms, their TSH will be elevated even more so, and their T3 and T4 levels are going to start coming up as low. This is the stage where most people are diagnosed, and on average, it takes between two to four, I'm sorry, um, average, it takes around 10 years to get from stage two to four. Stage five is progression to other types of autoimmune conditions. And so um, this is the whole kind of trajectory of how Hashimoto's goes if you don't do anything to intervene and um, prevent the expression of the condition or um, reverse or stop or reverse the condition. So, yeah, it sounds like <laughs> I really wish we were testing this and, and everybody's yearly physical because, you know, if you catch it early, you're not progressing into, you know, something more serious. You're treating it right away. Mm-hmm, absolutely. So can you tell me what the root cause rebels are? <laughs> That's us. <laughs> so, <laughs> so root cause rebels are people that um, basically have decided that they're not going to accept the status quo. So these are patients, these are healthcare practitioners that are saying, you know what, I'm going to look for the root cause of my condition. I'm not going to do what everybody else is doing in the world because I want different results. So these are people who know that they need to take charge of their own health. These are practitioners that know that they need to dig deeper. And, um, you know, they're different than warriors because when I think about the word warrior, um, this is somebody that is... Um, it p- implies that you're fighting something and it's a constant struggle. A rebel is somebody that stands up for, for his or her own health and does what's best for him or her, despite what society naysayers or the conventional medical paradigm might say. So that, that's us. <laughs> that definitely is us. I'm, I'm definitely a root cause rebel. I'm going to start using that. I like it. Um, do we know what the root cause of Hashimoto's is? So I found six different kind of categories of root causes. So they're going to be, um, they're going to be food sensitivities, nutrient deficiencies, impaired stress response, impaired ability to handle toxins, um, digestive issues, chronic infections. And when we really get to the bottom of, of it all and we think about what all these factors have in common is essentially that all these factors send a message to our body that we're not safe and that this is not a good time to be out in the world. This is not a good time to create, to reproduce. This is a good time to conserve our resources, conserve our energy, conserve our metabolism and hide out in our caves. Um, you know, thyroid disease, hypothyroidism makes people um, gain more weight even with eating fewer calories and it makes them withdraw from their environment, makes them more sleepy. And when you think about it, um, this is sort of what um, a hibernating bear does, right? Um, mm-hmm. To try to survive a situation that it's not fully adapted to. And in fact, bears' thyroid hormones actually do go down when they're hibernating, so this has been measured. Um, and so I really think about how our body is reading the messages and what it's trying to do. Our body's always trying to protect us. It's always trying to keep us safe. And, um, you know, with the example of food sensitivities or nutrient deficiencies, 
triggering thyroid disease, we know that in cavemen times, cavewomen times, right, we would not be eating foods that are inflammatory to us and we would not be nutri- de- uh, depleted in nutrients unless there was scarcity of food or famine. And in that case, it would actually be more beneficial for the human, you know, for the human race and for ourselves in general if we didn't need as much food. And so slowing down our metabolism can be protective. Um, and the fastest way to do that is to slow down the thyroid glands. So we'll see, actually, like historically, the people, um, the communities or the cultures that have higher rates of thyroid disease generally are have had a history of a famine because a lot of the people who survived the famine were more likely to express hypothyroidism and that helped them survive. And same, you know, same goes with like toxic exposure. So whenever there's toxins around, um, our body uh, to protect itself can slow itself down. And um, all of these, all of these basically factors essentially mean that our ancient body is not adapted to our current environment. And so the way we rebalance that is we need to send safety signals to the body to help it get back into balance. Yeah, I like a lot of what you said. Actually, it, it makes sense. Um, you know, we've talked a lot about genetics on the show and, and the epigenetics and how they can be passed on. Um, and, of course, uh, thyroid um, conditions can be passed on as well. So, um, you know, the, the part about the famine really made a lot of sense. So when, when people start your protocol, you talk a lot about starting with healing the liver. Can you explain that for us? Yeah, and so, um, you know, when you've got all these different root causes and all these things happening, it's like kind of can feel like you need to chase a lot of things and do a lot of different things. And that's what I did when I first started working with clients after I got my own health back, right? But um, I found that I had these clients that just were not getting better with with whatever we were trying and we were putting them on my gut protocols and supplements and they were just having adverse reactions to everything. They were having headaches, um, sensitivities. And so I just kept doing more research and I found out that um, a lot of times toxins are going to be connected to multiple um, chemical sensitivities and, um, and generally, you know, an impaired liver. And I wanted to figure out what I could do for people to make them feel better. And I knew that doing, um, from my own personal experience, that doing forceful detoxes could be problematic. I took um, spirulina to detox heavy metals, and I ended up with another autoimmune conditions, condition where um, what may happen in some cases is the, the heavy metals, they may get removed from your thyroid, and then they might go somewhere else. And in my case, it was my eyelids, and I had giant papillary conjunctivitis. So um, I wanted to find a way, like a gentle way to usher out some of the toxins to make a person feel better. And so I started with my clients on doing liver support. So this is not a detox. It's basically giving the liver an opportunity to work better. So just supporting the liver. And we do this with targeted foods, nutrients, and habits, and as well as eliminating some things from our environment. So um, I found that with my Hashimoto's clients, about 70% of them feel significantly better within two weeks of doing this liver protocol. So um, what are signs um, that somebody needs to do something for their liver? 
You know, if you have a thyroid condition, generally your liver is going to be congested and it's going to be working too hard. There's a few reasons for that. One is the body and autoimmune disease makes something called circulating immune complexes, and those need to be processed by the liver and oftentimes get stuck there. We're going to have a reduced amount of sweating. So in hypothyroidism, so we're not going to be getting rid of toxins that way. And then we're also going to have a leaky gut. So then that kind of, you know, basically puts everything on top of the liver. But um, some of the symptoms are going to be digestive problems, anxiety, extreme sensitivity to supplements or medication. So if you're somebody that's like, oh, you know, I react to everything, that's going to be a symptom. Multiple chemical sensitivities fatigue, skin breakouts, which mean that the which which may mean that the toxins are trying to leave through the skin any way they can. Um, um, all of these things, headaches can be potential symptoms. Okay, so we're actually going to take a quick break. We're talking today with Isabella Wentz. She is the author of the Hashimoto's Protocol. So we'll be back shortly. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Falling Through the Cracks with your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. 
To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Risk. The email address is anantacalgary at gmail.com. Now, back to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Today, we're talking with Isabella Wentz. She's the author of Hashimoto's Protocol, a 90-day plan for reversing thyroid symptoms and getting your life back. So, Isabella, um, you mentioned, um, you know, we talked about liver toxicity. I'm just wondering um, how chemical exposure affects our thyroid. Wow. You know, um, chemicals can essentially get lodged in the thyroid glands and um, cause damage leading to an initiation of autoimmunity. Um, so there's various types of chemicals that have been implicated. Um, a lot of chemicals that are found in our, um, in our, you know, manufacturing facilities, those, you know, there's certain kind of chemical plants, um, radioactive chemicals. Um, so like nuclear fallouts, I personally was exposed to Chernobyl and about 80% of children that were around my age when they were exposed that were living um, close to the, to the nuclear site ended up with thyroid antibodies and Hashimoto's. So um, these are some of like the bigger toxins, but there's also day-to-day toxins. So we can have things like fluoride in our water supply. This can actually suppress and damage the thyroid gland. This used to be used as a thyroid-suppressing medication for overactive thyroid disease before other medications were developed. Um, and so, you know, there's various chemicals in our environment that can definitely cause damage and suppress, you know, disrupt thyroid hormone activity. Um, so, you know, it, it, talking about chemicals is, is a favorite topic of mine. Um, you know, I, I was uh, definitely affected, um, which triggered uh, my Lyme and the, the two together um, had me bedridden. I was working in a, a building that was brand new. So the whole thing was off gassing. And, you know, when I, when I do shows and, and we learn that there's 88,000 unregulated chemicals in our homes and, you know, women are, when they're getting ready in the morning are exposed to about 500. No wonder women are more affected than men um, with their thyroid. Yeah, absolutely. And there's um, part of the reason why I recommend a, um, a, a personal care detox for two weeks as part of my liver protocol because personal care products can be full of, um, you know, hormone-disrupting chemicals. Yeah, it, it definitely makes sense to, to add that in. It's basically part of any program, um, whether it's your thyroid or anything else, we're all going to be healthier and better if we eliminate the chemicals as much as possible. I agree. So you talked a lot about gut health, and can you just tell us how important that is with Hashimoto's? Of course. So um, not many people know this, but gut cells and thyroid cells are from the same fetal origin. And so whatever we do to help our gut is going to help our thyroid and uh, really vice versa. And so um, Dr. Fasano has found, he's a, a researcher um, that specializes in autoimmunity and celiac disease. He's found that every case of autoimmune disease has three things that need to be present in order for it to manifest. And this is having the genetic predisposition exposure to a trigger, as well as leaky gut or intestinal permeability. Now, all three of these things need to be present for the disease to express itself. If we take away just one of these factors, um, you know, the disease no longer expresses itself and it could go into remission. 
So this is really, really exciting because that means that if we remove one of those factors, we can get significantly better. Now, we know that we can't change our genes in this day and age, right? So we, maybe in the next 100 years, we'll be able to choose and change our genes as, at will. For now, that's not an option, right? And so we kind of have to do our best with the genes we do have. And so there's ways to manage gene expression, and that's going to be to through addressing the triggers, that we have. So these could be the nutrient deficiencies or infections or a whole host of other kind of triggers or um, and or addressing the gut. So um, in, in some cases, the, the triggers can be elusive. They may take a while to identify and find and eradicate. And, you know, in the cases of some of, some of the chronic infections, as you know, they can be tricky to get rid of. But we can always work on the health of the gut, and we can always make the gut less leaky and um, make, a fer- make a person feel better when we do that. So what, is, what does leaky gut mean? So in very, very simple terms, what it means is that we have this gut barrier that's supposed to keep the things within our gut there, right? And when the gut becomes leaky or permeable, that's not happening. So various types of food particles and toxins can sort of go back and forth between the gut and the rest of our bodies. And um, this is a, a common occurrence in people with autoimmune disease. Some of the symptoms might be irritable bowel syndrome, acid reflux, um, bloating, various types of diarrhea, constipation. These can all be potential symptoms of having a leaky gut, but it's not, you know, it, it's not necessarily every person with leaky gut will have those symptoms. Are there certain foods that we know of that that can affect Hashimoto's, um, either positively or negatively? Yes, gluten, dairy, and soy are the three most reactive foods in Hashimoto's. So I will often recommend that a person get off of those three foods um, to make themselves feel significantly better. Um, as far as foods that are positive, what I've seen, um, foods like bone broth can be very helpful, and, and any nutrient-dense foods um, are very helpful in reestablishing um nutrient sufficiency. Um, you know, I, I, I love that this is part of it. I think it's part of any health journey. You know, I always start with the gut. So whatever is going on, you know, work on cleaning up the diet, removing any triggers and, um, you know, healing that gut. Because as you said, you know, if we take away one of those elements, we're more likely to prevent a disease down the road. I agree. Um, so how does uh, stress affect the thyroid? So there's a very important relationship between the stress response and thyroid gland. And so this could be current present stress or this could even be past stress and how that's um, responding within our bodies. We know that people who have had a history of um, physical abuse, sexual abuse, a history of trauma are going to have higher rates of thyroid disease. Um, And stress is oftentimes one of the most commonly reported things for my clients where I'll ask them, what was going on in your life before you got sick? They'll say, I was under a lot of stress. Um, And stress is also one of those factors that makes people feel significantly worse. So it's something that's really, really important. We need to address it Um, in a kind of physiology standpoint the adrenal glands, which produce our stress hormones, have an intricate relationship with the thyroid glands. And so when um, one system is out of balance, it'll um, try to compensate with the, with the other system. And so we find that majority of clients with Hashimoto's actually have 
an impaired stress response. And this is an important part of, of overcoming and healing Hashimoto's. So what can we do to help the stress response? I like the, um, uh, what I recommend in my book, Hashimoto's Protocol, is a four-week plan that I like to call Spa Month, and it's the adrenal protocol, where we really go through and we help the person focus on resting and relaxing. And so we, we go through a month where we get, out of, get off of caffeine, we work on balancing the blood sugar, we work on positive affirmation, and most importantly, getting plenty of sleep because that's the way to get your stress um, hormones out of balance is through sleep deprivation. And the fastest way to get them back in balance is through getting adequate sleep. So we're doing plenty of rest. And then the other thing I like to utilize is the ABC. So it's adrenal adaptogens, B vitamins, and then vitamin C. And, and these, um, these nutrients and supplements can also be helpful for resetting the stress response. So you you talk in your book about um, how blood sugar is is related to a lot of this. How does that affect everything? Um, So blood sugar is something that is going to be out of balance in most people with um, Hashimoto's. Um, And um, basically, whenever we have these blood sugar imbalances, this weakens our adrenals, and um, this creates more inflammation for the thyroid gland because there's not enough of um, anti-inflammatory cortisol going on because it's all used up by um, the blood sugar balance. So what can somebody do to regulate this? Um, Doing frequent meals throughout the day, so eating every two to three hours, making sure that you're getting plenty of fats and proteins within your meals and limiting your carbohydrate intake. There's there's also some supplements like um, I like to use amino acids that can help with balancing the blood sugar. A lot of people when they have um, thyroiditis, so uh, um, they, they talk about the food's goitrogens. How does that affect thyroids? So the goitrogens are actually a myth for Hashimoto's. So what goitrogenic means is, and I should rephrase that. So there's various types of goitrogens, and the word goitrogen basically means anything that interferes with thyroid hormone production. Now, this could be in any way, shape, or form. So fluoride could be a goitrogen because it destroys thyroid tissues. We have um, soy could be a goitrogen because it inter- interacts with the thyroid peroxidase enzyme. So these are two potential mechanisms that are problematic. And those are the kind of things I recommend staying off of. Now, there's a branch of, you know, a certain kind of food food types that are known as goitrogens that are the vegetables, the brassica cruciferous vegetables. And these are considered goitrogens because they could block the intake of iodine into the thyroid glands. And so in the case if a person was iodine deficient, that could exacerbate the deficiency if you were to eat them in a raw state and lots of them. Now, clinically, this doesn't actually matter very much so in Hashimoto's because we find that most people with Hashimoto's are not deficient in iodine and the amount of goitrogens found in the foods do not, are, are not sufficient to create, to um, deplete us of, of iodine, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, so I, I've read some things um, and, and seen, you know, that people with Hashimoto's sometimes can react to iodine. And, and I've also read that there's more Hashimoto's where we have um, more iodine in our, our diet. Um, is there a relationship that you've seen? Because I'm not sure we understand that all yet. 
Yeah, so iodine seems to be a Goldilocks nutrient where we need to have just the right amounts of it for proper thyroid function. When we don't have enough of it, we end we end up with um, hypothyroidism because of the deficiency, because iodine is a necessary component of thyroid hormones. When we have too much of it, we have an imbalance in the thyroid gland where um, all this iodine has to be processed by the thyroid peroxidase enzyme. And um, when there's too much of it, that can actually cause inflammation within the thyroid gland, and that can initiate the autoimmune cascade. You know, a lot of people are consuming table salt that has added iodine. Is that contributing to, um, you know, how much Hashimoto's that we're seeing? Processed salt has been linked to Hashimoto's, um, and I don't know if that's independent and autoimmune disease. I don't know if that's independent of iodine, but generally we do see, um, I do recommend getting off of processed salt for most people. Um, that's going to be one of the common common helpful things. Um, so when if somebody's listening and they, they think they're affected by Hashimoto's and they know they are already, are there certain supplements that they should be taking that can help them? Some of the most helpful things they can do is to start balancing their nutrients. And some of the most helpful supplements are going to be selenium, magnesium. Um, we're going to see that um, the the vitamin D is oftentimes going to be depleted. And I also like to recommend chest testing for B12 and then also for um, thiamine, using that as a supplement and 600 milligrams can be very helpful for Hashimoto's. And um, what result, like how fast do people see results once they start doing all of this work? It depends on the supplement. With thiamine, we can see people feeling significantly more energetic in as little as three days. With um, with selenium, usually within the first few weeks, a person will feel better. They usually feel less anxious, um, and they might have mo- less hair loss um, and have slightly more energy, too. Okay. So if somebody is wanting to get started, what should be, what, where should they start? You know, a really great place to start is by, um, you know, I like the liver support protocol, and a big part of that is going to be food pharmacology where we get rid of the foods that are going to be inflammatory to us. So getting off of gluten, dairy, and soy is a really, really great starting point for most people. And is there a way that people can get a hold of you if they have any questions or how they can find your book? Yeah, so um, my website is thyroidpharmacist.com, and I'm also um, on Facebook. If you look for... um, If you look for... Thyroid Pharmacist, Dr. Isabella Wentz, or Dr. Isabella Wentz, Thyroid Pharmacist, you'll be able to find me on Facebook. So I often do Facebook Live events where um, I do Q&A sessions for people. Um, and the best, you know, the best information is found in my book, too. So Hashimoto's Protocol, and then on my website, Thyroid Pharmacist. And um, I do have a quick starter guide when people go to thyroidpharmacist.com slash gift when they can have access to the nutrient depletions and digestion guide that I developed, um, quick start guide for uh, gluten-free, dairy-free, soy-free recipes, as well as like how to get on a thyroid diet without making all the mistakes that I did when I first did it. Um, it's always helpful when some somebody's made the mistakes for you. Exactly. I've made plenty of them so that, yeah. you know, that other people don't have to, and then I write about them. <laughs> That's great. Um, well, I want to sh- thank you so much for um, joining me today. I think this was a really informative episode. Thank you so much for having me. It's been such a pleasure to be here with you, and thank you so much for the work that you're doing. 
And um, I want to thank everybody for listening. Um, this Today we are joined by Isabella Wentz. She's the author of the Hashimoto's Protocol, a 90-day plan for reversing thyroid symptoms and getting your life back. So thanks for listening and be sure to make today a great day. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Please join Dr. Rebecca Risk again next Monday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk more next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.